Thanks for tuning in to the Fitness Candor Podcast. I'm Eric Feigl, a personal trainer in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been training for 10 years and have found that there are many ways to exercise, but one right way through proper strength training. My hope for this podcast is that you find answers to your fitness questions, learn a little about the history of strength training and fitness, and combine both to maintain a healthy lifestyle. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fitness Candor Podcast. I am your host as always, Eric Feigl, and I'm joined today by personal fitness trainer Bill Crawford. Bill's studio is in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's called Basic Training, and it's kind of interesting how I, I came to to meet Bill because it was um, after, I hope I don't get these names mixed up because they're both named Bill, but after I had the Bill Andrews uh, podcast, and we talked about the MedX lumbar extension machine. Um, me and one of my colleagues jumped on YouTube and started looking up uh, videos, and we came across this this handsome man demonstrating a a lumbar lumbar machine, and uh, it was a very impressive video, and uh, I learned a lot from it. And I decided to reach out and and talk to Mr. Crawford about. Uh, what he does with MedX and Nautilus and his his background. So I'm excited to talk to him. He's just a a book of knowledge, and he'll he'll only get to touch on just a little bit of what he knows. Uh, if you want to find out more, I encourage you to visit BasicTrainingScottsdale.com and uh, and and learn more. So, Bill, thanks for joining us today. I, I really appreciate it. Hi, Eric. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to jump right into it and I kind of talk about your your whole background is is one that I'm very familiar with because it's kind of where I came from too. Um, you just happened to come a little bit before me. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but uh, tell everybody a little bit about your background in exercise and before you started uh, a basic training. Well, my my exercise background really started uh, in a little mountain town in Colorado where I grew up. It's called Uray, Colorado. And uh, being fit is really a consequence to living there because it's about 9,000 feet to 14,000 feet, and you're either walking up or down uh, every every moment of your life. I was a downhill racer. I was uh, preparing to go to the 1972 Olympics, but I had an accident that uh, prevented me from doing that. So I went out to Los Angeles, and I was actually doing advertising and graphics when I met a guy from Brooklyn, New York, A.J. Rosenthal, who was opening up a gym in Tarzana. And A.J.'s brother was Lenny Russell, who owned the Sheridan Square Health Club in uh, New York City. And he had a long background with uh, you know, the early days of bodybuilders. But I did A.J.'s promotions for his fitness center, and I did his graphics and his signage, and I was uh, really impressed with the response. And we were this was in 1977, and uh, it was shortly thereafter that I talked my buddy A.J. into letting me be his partner, and uh, I did sweat equity on the second club. And we found ourselves basically in the right time, right place at the right time, and it was really the ignition for the modern fitness boom in Los Angeles. And before we knew it, we had a large chain of uh, 
Nautilus clubs in the in Southern California, and since then that's all I've ever done. It was wasn't very long into that that I met Arthur Jones, the inventor of Nautilus, and we cut a deal with Arthur to let uh, to let us be the you know the pure the, the the point of the spear with the, with the Nautilus endeavor in Southern California, and oh, wow. pretty much the rest is history. Yeah, that's you hit it right on the head when you said you kind of I mean, you fell right into the sweet spot of the fitness industry, right? I mean, what 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 other point in time? Would there have been, uh, you know, the perfect, the perfect moment to meet the, the guy who transformed all of fitness? I mean, that's yeah, well, well, back back then, gyms were gyms. I mean, these were dungeons. You had to go, you know, around the alley, down the hallway, down the stairs, <laughs> and these places were 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 very primitive. The mirrors were taped together with duct tape. The carpeting was worn out. They were dirty. The equipment was primitive, and they were definitely most of them guys only. So you know, we came yeah. in with brand new concepts. We had uh, you know attractive facilities. We made them co-ed, which was uh, rejected uh, early on. Uh, uh-huh. We had to go to council meetings and, and get special approval because people didn't uh, accept the fact that men and women could work out together. And our contention was, well, you could ride buses together, you can you can go out to dinner together, you can go to school together. Why can't we work out together? Yeah. So a lot of them had Girls' Day, Boys' Day, even Jack O'Lanes had a men's side and a women's side, but they didn't have co-ed exercise. I've so never heard we, that before. We made a lot of big changes. And it, uh, it drew the attention of a lot of other people, both in the industry and out of the industry. And all of a sudden, you know, we had a lot of competition because everybody thought, "Hey, this is this is a great business. Let's go." We uh, we started a lot of big careers, a lot of big chains in this industry. Oh, I bet. So that's interesting. That so when 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 you walk into uh, before you modernized the industry, when you when you walked into a facility, did they have the same type of equipment? Was it like in two separate rooms, men's and women's, or was it just? You couldn't work out on Tuesday. It was, it was different kinds of equipment. It was it was a really? scaled down. You know, Paramount had a women's line and a men's line, and you know, beauty bells instead of dumbbells, slant boards, uh, pony rollers, the uh, vibration belts. Those yeah. were dominant on the women's side, and the guys had, you know, a, a, a seven station or twelve station crossover cables, dumbbells, a few bench presses. And that was about it. Completely, completely separate from each other. Like, like both sides didn't need the same kind of training. <laughs> exactly. That's really interesting. We actually have uh, here at Mission Five Fitness, we have one of those um, vibrating belts on on display in the corner. And every once in a while, somebody's like, uh, "Does that thing work?" I'm like, indeed, it does. It's <laughs> <laughs> we have hot, hot people on there, and it's kind of, I mean, it's it's funny, but you think about that. That's a uh, Obviously, it didn't do anything at all, but it's like a a monument to where we are now, in a way. Exactly. Um, especially, especially knowing that story, I mean, you know, you actually saw those being used. So, yeah. this kind of leads me right into the next question: um, Why why are conventional training machines so important? Like, what what is the the benefit to using those versus, let's say? Um, you know techniques that you may have used when you first started. Well, um, there's you know I have a I use this uh, 
comparison often when people come into my fitness center and they see that I have machines. And uh, I say, why aren't you using kettlebells or, mm-hmm. or, or or jumping up and down off of boxes, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I point out the fact that uh, in my pocket I have a smartphone. And I use a smartphone because it's very advanced technology. And the reason I don't use a crank phone is because I don't want to go back into the dark ages and I don't want to use primitive tools. And so some of the people that designed some of the you know earlier machines, like Arthur Jones, who was an absolute genius, he understood the biomechanical relationship between you know the human body and our bones and our uh, our joints and our contracting muscles, and he was able to build machines that ergonomically uh, matched that and produced better results with the distribution of force than we could find with uh, with 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 primitive tools. Right. Um, the biomechanics of of bringing the dumbbell up into a curl position, you'll, you, we all know that once you get about 70% up, there's no resistance because the weight is transferred from the contracting muscle to the bone, and the bone does the support. So as far as being an effective tool that provides equalized resistance through the full range of motion, the dumbbell is only about 70% effective. Right. So the tools that I like are the, are the machines that can equalize that resistance and distribute the resistance factor throughout the full range of motion equally. And I think that's that's why machines are better than, you know, some of the other choices out there. I 100% agree. The And we kind of get the, the same reaction here when people walk in. And until they know why you're doing what you're doing, that it's not until then do they actually, you know, they'll buy into the system. But uh, they walk in and, you know, you see everything now, especially with uh, the revolution of uh, P90X when that came out however long ago, 10 years ago or something. Uh, you know, what do they have? They had bands, a few dumbbells, and they did box jumps and stuff like that. And that's, right. that, that was pushed so hard and heavy that that was what people thought, well, this is all I need to do. And I'm not saying that it didn't work for some people because I think following almost any program for a certain amount of time is going to give you some type of results, whether or not that program is safe is one thing. Um, but, you know, with machines, when, when people walk in, they're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm surprised that you guys use machines, you know, because we're all a bunch of, most of us are a bunch of young guys here who have been in the industry for 10 plus years, and um, and it's, it's a matter of saying what you just said uh, in, you know, in, in client terms, more or less. Right. But, uh, but, but like I said, you know, once you show them why you do what you do, they... They completely understand it. Well, and Arthur, it's almost Arthur like, Jones was an aeronautical engineer, and his his father was a doctor. So he grew up in an environment where he had two different disciplines. One was the physiology and the anatomy that he completely understood, and the other was 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 the engineering of load factors, stress factors, um, resistance factors. So somewhere along the line, Arthur decided that he wanted to be a bodybuilder. So he joined a gym in Santa Monica, California. And he immediately noticed the deficiencies in the resistance factors of dumbbells and barbells. And he thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. And he experimented with a lot of different things. The first experiment that he tried was with chains. Because when you pick a chain up off of the ground, the higher you raise it, the more links come off the ground and the heavier it becomes. Right. Now, the chains defeated the mechanical advantages that you get 
with the full extension on a bench press or the rotation of a bicep curl, but it wasn't equalized. So, you know, after a while, he, he gave up on the chains and he started working on the cams, which is basically a pulley, and a pulley is a lever that converts the force of the uh, weight stack to the contracting muscle fiber, and that's when he came up with the Nautilus cam. And I don't think that there is anything that has come along since that even compares with the, you know, second-generation Nautilus equipment. No, there's been a lot of um, people trying to duplicate it, but without without that, we wouldn't have we would we would have zero equipment without what he did without Correct. those pieces. Um, that, this is just off the top of my head. Have you ever did you ever use the? I'm sure you did the original uh, pullover machine. I have one. Oh, do you, like an original? Yeah. Oh my gosh! This is just another reason for me to go to Scottsdale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a almost a full set of second generation Nautilus, and of course I've owned you know thousands of pieces over the years wow. uh, with the larger clubs. But I have uh, Arthur made thousands and thousands of sets of either blue or brown Nautilus equipment. He made I think about thirty five, forty sets of chrome, and I have uh-huh. one of those sets, and I'm very proud of it. Oh, that's awesome! I have that in one room, and I have my Medex equipment in another. Which kind of leads me to the next question: um, Who who do you work with? Are there special uh, a special category that would benefit more from using the Medex line versus the Nautilus line, or where do you where do you split those? You know, when I when I first bring someone in, I really like working on the older, you know, conventional. I kind I kind of have a vintage gym set up on in in one of the larger rooms in my facilities, and so we'll train that way. And we do you know full body workouts, high intensity. We start with the legs, then we go to the back, the chest, shoulders, triceps, biceps, and finish with abdominals, and then a stretch. And uh, and and I let them get used to that so that they can you know really feel comfortable and adapt to that equipment, and then we move over to the Medex, which is like going from a prop airplane to a supersonic jet. Wow, that's that's impressive. The yeah. the the way that uh, that programs are set up are. I mean, everybody varies a little bit. You kind of you know you you and I talked before the show and. Uh, you mentioned how not everybody's program is exactly the same. You know, you do splits and things like that. Exactly. So the I like know hearing the different ways that different professionals in the industry go about doing essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's really I like that aspect of it. Yeah, I've um, got several several favorite programs that I use, and uh, what I do when someone is really really advanced on the Medex equipment, I love the negative accentuated negative only. Uh, that was kind of the foundation of the uh, Colorado experiment, which a lot of right. people have heard a lot about. Unfortunately, most of the stuff that you read on the internet is 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 total, uh, it, totally inaccurate. Um, a lot of people took uh, Casey Viatar's warm-up program and thought that that was the Colorado experiment. It's not. Arthur wrote it in code, and it's 13 days of uh, 12 different exercises uh, with a mix of. Uh, Negative only and negative accentuated, and boy, we get. I just trained a guy with that this morning, and it is a powerful program, and you get huge results. But it's not yeah, for everybody. No, it's not. No, that's that's a special. I mean, I I don't think I could take anybody that I work with through a true um, negative workout, negative only workout. That's right. Well, you know, the the, the muscles are about forty percent stronger in the negative aspect than they are the positive. Right. 
and even in regular training, I am always boosting, you know, with my manipulation on the on the older side where I have the vintage equipment. I'll always assist a little bit with the positive and yep. let them do the negative. They don't even understand or or realize that I'm doing that. But I always accentuate the negative a little bit. Yeah. They, I'm sure that some people say that they don't feel like they're doing anything on the positive, even though they're getting just a little bit. But you, when you, when we explain um, the motion, because I think most people when they first start training, and I, I was probably the same way when I first started working out, that the only only movement that mattered was, you know, your positive phase, the contraction phase. But um, you know, it, it's probably more important the opposite. And I believe when, that. When I tell people that, you know, especially on a seated chest press. Um, so I think it's a really easy one for people just to kind of let go at the very end. Yes. I tell people, you know, first couple, first couple reps, start slow. Not super slow, but start slow. You know, three or four seconds up, three or four seconds down, and then really try to get the bar moving or the handles moving through maybe 12, um, 12 more exercise, 12 more repetitions. By the end of that exercise, that's when I'm really telling them, okay, I don't want you to lock it out of the top. Now really control it down. And if that's the first time training, that's, you know, that's, a pretty mind-blowing exercise in itself. It is. And then I can, then I can explain how that type of um, pattern can translate across all exercises and you get more benefit because we're using more muscle tissue. Right. And um, and that's that, that's super important because when a lot of people walk in the gym, what do they do? They bang out a bunch of repetitions really fast. They get their heart rate up. They think they're working hard, but it's that's not exactly and they, and they develop a skill which uh, deprives you of a lot of the benefit of the exercise. You know, your yeah. brain, and we're programmed from early on in our evolution to use as little energy as possible to perform a certain task. And we've got to be cognizant of that when we're exercising because if you use those tools to shortcut work, you're going to deprive yourself of the end of the benefit of exercise, and that's what happens when you develop a skill. People will lift the weights a little bit faster. There'll be a little bounce on the short end of the contraction, and mm-hmm. I make it a real point to have my exercisers stop and pause for a moment at the short end of the contraction, arresting any momentum or inertia, and forcing the muscles to recruit from the starting point every single repetition. And when you do things like that, you get so much more out of out of the exercise than you do when you start to develop those shortcuts and those skill sets to make the work less. Right, right, and you actually you're benefiting more. You you don't even need as when you're doing it that way. You explained you don't need as much because you are doing more with less. That's correct. Absolutely. <laughs> If that makes it's sense refreshing to find uh, someone in, in in your age bracket that is cognizant of this and has these understandings. You're doing great, Eric. Oh, I appreciate that. I, well, I can't take all the credit because obviously this has been, you know, brought to me from from people like you and people who are who have learned from um, your era and and what you're currently doing. And that's why I think this podcast is so important because without this, mm-hmm. without bringing the people who started this and who, um who have experience in the field, I mean, I don't want to see this type of training go away and die. I don't want to see proper strength training go away and die. And I I feel like sometimes um, you talk to some of the professionals and they give you this kind of, oh, brother, you know, why aren't you doing uh, Olympic weightlifting with your clients? Why aren't you doing X and this and that? And even certain clients say, hey, can we do, I saw this on TV, can we do a, you know, a, a kipping pull-up or something? And it's just... Right. 
you know, to tell to tell a client no, we can't do that, and to have a reason, and then for them to understand it is it, that that makes all the difference. And it's because of of uh, this type of work that you know you, me, and the people at Mission Five, and you know if you have anybody at your place, I'm sure they're training the same way too. So it's all. It's all coming full circle, I hope. <laughs> I hope so. I really do because it's yeah. sometimes it gets very uh, depressing to see all of the new, I can't say the name of them, but they're the big boxes where they have kettlebells and boxes and people hurting themselves and becoming uh, victims of rhabdomyolysis and all these other things. Yep. It's, it's a terrible thing for fitness. Well, they have a... Especially for when you have a, a mascot that you name Rabdo, Rabdo the Clown. Exactly. Yeah. So, come on, and that that's what you're trying to achieve? Kidney failure. Yeah, it's awesome. Great job. I, you know what? I kind of want to skip this because I I'm afraid I'm going to start yelling. <laughs> I, I understand. They've, I don't want to get too aggressive. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be dealing with Rabdo's lawyers, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure they're just bleeding all over the place. Um. Bill, what uh, what would an ideal workout look like for most ages in, in your book? What would something that anyone could do at any age? Do you have a program like that? Yeah, I do. And what I find when, when most people walk through the door, they have three issues. Number one, they want to build strength. Number two, in our population now, uh, obesity is on the rise. Almost everyone is overweight, so they also want to reduce stored energy in the fat cell system. And number three, um, they want cardiac training. They want their heart to be stronger. They want to lower their resting heart rate. So I, I've developed a high-intensity program for most people, and you know I'll, I'll change this as they progress, and we go into split body parts and you know all, all different other kinds of trainings. But for the most most part, I use a full body program with two sets to failure and I mean okay. real muscle failure where we do we start with with the legs we'll do leg extensions uh, followed by you know leg presses I'll do a, uh, a a functional strap squat butt blaster abduction adduction leg curls calf raises mm -hmm. and then we go into a pullover for the upper body we'll do lat pull downs we'll do uh, dumbbell rows, trap rows, lumbar extension, and then we'll go into the chest where we do a fly, uh, then a chest press, and uh, then we go to the deltoids where we go to lateral raises, um, anterior lateral raises, posterior lateral raises, and overhead presses, and okay. then we do tricep extensions, and tricep pushdowns, bicep curls, and then another bicep exercise, followed by abdominals every which yep. way that we can, and then a, a stretch. And the reason I do two sets instead of one for this is because we're factoring in the burning the stored energy in the fat cell system, and then you have to throw in physics. Physics is work. When you're, when you're contracting muscle fibers, that's work. The muscle fibers uh, need a source of energy to perform that work. That's the stored energy in the fat cell system. So if one set to failure burns X number of calories, two sets to failure will double that burn, so they'll burn more calories. Three sets on the program that I teach would be way, way too much for most people. So over the years, I've settled on two. Yeah. And, that, and that's the program for the everyday person that walks in off the street. Now, if you're, if you're, if you're 7% body fat and all you want to do is build muscle, 
then of course we know that one set to failure is the best way to do that. Less is more. Mm-hmm. So right. we're factoring right. out that we don't need to burn off stored energy in the fat cell system so it can be a shorter workout. And you still get the benefit of the cardiac muscle because it's high intensity. Right. Yes. That what you everything you just described, I don't care how cheesy this sounds, but to me that's where the art comes in in personal training. Like definitely there's definitely science behind it. You definitely just said that, and that's probably what everybody's hearing. But there is an art to to what you just described, like that flow of a of, of workout. Um, and you said something interesting there too, how you know someone who's maybe a little more on the lean side, like they're they're still even though they're only doing one set. When people are hearing, oh, you're only doing one set. That one set is is very intense. It's not yeah. a it's not just you going through. Okay, I hit 15 repetitions. Am I done? No, like that, that's not how that kind of, of workout goes, correct? Correct, absolutely. It's the most intense thing you could possibly imagine. Yep. And it, it tears down muscle fibers. And remember, the exercise itself isn't good for you. You can tell all of your right. you know, friends that don't want to exercise that, hey, you guys are right, exercise is bad for you. It's your body's ability to adapt to the stress of the exercise mm-hmm. during the recuperation period that is so critically important. That's why the rest period is just as important as the exercise. Yes, That's what definitely. makes the whole thing work. It's a science. Tear the muscle tissue down, let the muscle tissue recover, and build it back, build itself back bigger, better, and stronger than it was before. Yes, definitely. And that's you, your your body's sending signals all day long. It's just one big signal machine. And when you go through something super intense like that, that type of program, whether you're a novice or you're advanced, you know the the recovery phase is so important. And that's, uh, and when I say recovery phase, I, I, I'm just, I'm talking, you know, to the general public right now, but sure. recovery to me is, sure, you're going about your daily life, but you're not going back to the gym to do another set of, you know, bicep curls because you don't think you got enough the next day. You're done. That's you're it. Done. That's you're done sending signals. No more signals for the muscles. And, uh, another interesting thing that you brought up, and I'm glad you did, was the, um, the, the cardiac tissue of your heart is a muscle, and right. it can be worked through strength training. And um, this is, I find that this is kind of a new, it's not new, but I think people are just finding out about how, you know, long-distance running isn't necessarily the best thing um, for the heart. I've been preaching this for decades. If you, if you stood and did a thousand bicep curls all yeah. at once, consecutively, right. your muscles would go into a cramp, okay? Yeah. It's yep. not good. How do we train the biceps? We do an um, interval training, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Spike them up, spike them down. And it's the same thing with cardiac muscle. That's why, quote-unquote, athletes are dropping dead when they're doing yeah. training because they're keeping their heart elevated for a long period of time, which is exactly wrong. To train the heart, you need to bring it up, let it rest, come back down, bring it up, and bring it down. I spike it. You can't sustain a rapid heart rate for a long period of time without without risking significant damage to the cardiac muscle. Yeah, people are just figuring that out. I've been preaching that for decades. They are just figuring it out because when I well, I tell people that well, especially when you circle back to the rest periods and, and endurance athletes in particular who run non-stop, sixteen miles a day every day, six seven days a week, and those are the type of people that I have a super hard time getting through to, but when you start to describe what the muscle's made of, 
hey, guess what? Your heart's a muscle. You let everything, I, you know, I don't like people working out back-to-back days, full body, right. that is. You know, some people want to. I don't let them. But you understand that you went out and worked that, that muscle group for such a long period of time. However long it takes you to do 16 miles, I don't know. I, I don't run long distance. But you have to let that muscle rest. And you're not doing it if you're hammering it for 16 miles and then you maybe go do another type of workout because you think you need more cardio and then you go the next day and do the same thing over again. You know, they, I don't know the number off the top of my head, maybe you do, but the, uh, a long distance athlete's heart, there's like a, there's a, Oh man, I should have brought it up. So I don't know the numbers, but we have about have every every heart. mammal has about two billion heartbeats in its lifespan. There you go. Okay. And you know, it's called the heart bank theory. And the faster your heart beats, the the faster your heart is going to wear out. Like mice, they beat da 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 da. And larger animals, you know, boom boom. Ours should be about fifty. Mine, mine's anywhere between forty-seven to fifty-one. My resting heart rate. So if you take someone that has a resting heart rate in the 70s, that means their heart is beating 20 beats per minute more than it should. And if you take that 20 beats per minute, times it out by an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year, you're burning through through heartbeats that could cost you years at the end of your life. So it's critical to train your cardiac muscle because the stronger it is, a strong heart has a big, solid, strong beat so it can beat less times per minute to do the same job that a weak heart has to do, pat, 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 and it it simply wears your heart out. I knew you'd have the answer. (laughs) Much more (laughs) eloquent than I could have put it. But, yeah, that's that's right on the money. um, There are are a bunch of different ways. Excuse me, guys. Sorry about that. I'll go out here in the hallway real quick. Someone just walked in the office. But uh, anyway, back to the the heartbeat thing. The when I tell people about uh, how to train, when to train, and how often to train, I, I like to tell people to do everything in, at one time. And uh, no, that includes your cardio. Even if they, even if they, they're strength training for thirty minutes, which is way more than enough. You and I both know that. Right. Um, you know, if you're going, if you, if they are going to do cardio, if I can't get through to them, then do it in the same day, right after your workout. And uh, you know, don't don't split it up. Cardio day, uh, strength day. Cardio day, strength day. I'm trying to go anti that. Um, are you? Are you an advocate for everybody to do high-intensity training, or do you think it's for a certain select group of people? Well, I think that you can get the best results from high-intensity training, and everyone that I train is is it's in, in is in the high intensity, and I have different levels of high intensity. When you have to factor in, you know, geriatric populations, uh, people with challenges, et cetera, et cetera. But when people have been training a long time and they come in and train with me, they are always in a state of shock because, number one, it's very hard, and number two, they have just discovered that they've never really worked out before. And I always tell them, this is going to change you for the rest of your life, and the next time you go into a big gym and you look around, you're going to see that people really aren't training. You know, they'll do a set here, they'll walk around, they'll do another set, they'll go get a drink of water, they'll go talk to their neighbors. That's not training. No. Yeah, especially with uh, everybody having a phone in their hand now, too. You know, it's four oh, yeah. or five, six, six minutes in between a set, go back to the same 
uh, chest press machine, sit on that machine for a little while. But yeah, I usually practice, you know, about five seconds rest in between um, exercises and sets, and that's it. And we go bang, 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 bang. We get an awful lot done in a very short period of time. But that's how yeah. it should be. Yeah, I I completely agree. The 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 way that well, it's all it's all I guess you can say media. You know, two to three two to three. Uh, Whatever minutes in between each set, each exercise, and right. you know that's that's all the uh, oh, what's the term someone used the, yeah, the media fitness. is the is the giant misleader. You have a giant misleader. There's was it men's fitness? Somebody called it a uh, men's fiction, which <laughs> I always like to refer to. Uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty clever. You mentioned earlier that you stretch at the end. Can you describe? Uh, what kind of stretching you do, how long those stretches are hold, and why you perform them at the end? Yeah, um, and, and, you know, it, it's 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 more the way it is now. Twenty years ago when I was saying this, I was ridiculed by, you know, experts in the fitness industry saying, oh, no, you, you should stretch before, and it never seemed logical to me. And let's say you were a blacksmith working with metal or somebody working with leather or plastics and you wanted to stretch this material. When would you do that? When you took it out of the the drawer cold or after it was warm and pliable? And it's the same thing with stretching. Yeah. Um, a lot of people can have been injured stretching themselves. You know, with the weekend warriors, you'll see them with not even static stretches, ballistic stretches, where they're bouncing, you know, up and down off the ground to try to quote unquote stretch their muscles, and it's just crazy. But the best time to stretch a muscle is after that muscle has been exercised, it's been oxygenated, it's been heated up with its own internal friction. You know, that's what makes a muscle heat up is the friction uh, in between the eccentric and concentric action inside of a muscle. Mm-hmm. And after that muscle is, is warm and pliable, that's when we want to stretch, not when it's cold and, and, and subject to injuries. And I think I think stretching is important. I think it's, it's somewhat overrated. Um, yeah. and you can overstretch, like we have seen in yoga, where the muscles and, and ligaments and tendons become so uh, elasticated that they don't hold the joints in position, and then you can have real problems if you have impact force-related uh, issues that cause injuries and overextension because the muscles don't hold the bones in their place. Right, hypermobility is a huge issue, especially in that in that realm. Right, so I'm 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 very aware of that, and I use stretching in a very limited uh, aspect at the end, more of a feel good thing. And yeah. you know, when you're when you when you're watching animals in the jungle, when, and they want to bounce up and run after a a prey or escape danger, they don't stretch first. <laughs> That's true. Hold it, I got to stretch. Hold that time out. Hey, uh, pause right there. I'm going to eat you soon, but let me stretch. Exactly. <laughs> what uh, so, so for how about how long uh, do you hold those stretches? Let's say if you're stretching somebody's hamstring, is it the, the just, most uh, is about ten seconds? Ten seconds. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think I, I think I hold around like twenty, maybe thirty seconds per. Uh, maybe I'll start adjusting that a little bit. Yeah, that's um, fine. And besides, yeah, I, I I think you know, and I always tell people like, look, here's. I try to explain to them what, why we're stretching at the end. Um, you know, if they want an actual stretching program, if they want to become more flexible. Well, first of all, I always ask them why. Why do you need to become more flexible? Um, and most people just think it's because it's you know something they have to do. And uh, I always relate it back to 
well, how flexible does a person need to be? What do you do during the day? You know, I mean, maybe a football player needs to be a little more flexible than, um, you know, a weekend warrior or, or vice versa. It just right. it depends on each individual person, just like any exercise does. And if you're moving through full range of motion, and most people don't believe this either, you are, you are lengthening your muscles. You're right. stretching with every, with every repetition, absolutely. Exactly. So, so as long as you're not doing, you see it all the time, man, people, especially with um, uh, dumbbell curls, I see that a lot, and, and, and pull-downs, um, and pull-ups for that matter, that short arm range of motion, that, that right. elbow doesn't leave that 90-degree bend. And, uh, and hey, you can see that later on in life, people, people walk around with their shoulders shrugged, their arms bent, and, um, you know, all sorts of other stuff that can, that can really, damaging the joint, hurting the uh, muscle tissue, that can relate to all sorts of other stuff. But, um, but yeah, going through full range of motion, I think, is the best way to stretch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Without, without going Arthur, through... Arthur always taught that, too. If you pre-stretch the muscle prior to contraction, remember, the more you pre-stretch a muscle, the more muscle fibers are recruited during contraction also. Right. And it's that full range of motion and that pre-stretch that, that really makes post-exercise stretching not that important. Not that important. And in the warm-up set, too, I think a lot of people get that confused. I know we're kind of backtracking, but uh, I feel like a warm-up set really is, is more or less a waste of energy. Um, I mean, your, your muscles are, are ready to go at a moment's notice. Like exactly. Exactly. So, and, you know, a lot of times I'll have somebody walk for five minutes and because the leg muscles sure. are big muscles, and those big muscles produce a lot of heat with the friction. And the heat, you know, you're a tower structure, the heat rises, and pretty soon you're... Your your whole body is is quote unquote warmed up, but yep. again, it's not it's not it's not a critical aspect of training. And and I think that the the pre warm up on cardio also, um, if the person is in the right mind frame frame or frame of mind, I mean that that's kind of important too. There's a little mental aspect with it too, which I don't want to take away from training because you have to be mentally prepared uh, to train. Otherwise, you know, go, going through the motions for some people is great if that's all they can do, but. Um, if you're wanting to get maximum results, there's a certain mind frame they have to be in. And uh, I know you know a lot about that, too. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, I wasn't going to bring this up, but uh, the video I watched of you breaking the arrow on your neck. Oh, you saw that. Yeah. Yeah, of course I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what's this maniac doing? And do uh, you want to you talk a little bit about what, what that's about? I'll probably link the video um, to this podcast. But. Sure. Well, you know, um, my friend, uh, AJ, who's, who's deceased now, he's the guy that uh, I met early on in this business. He was working with uh, Tony. Is it Tony? What's the guy's name? Uh, the Tony. Nelson or what? Oh, the, uh, the, the Firewalker. What's his name? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. I, I got a, I've got a block on his name. Anyway, he's a motivational speaker, and he gets. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I do know who you're talking about. Go ahead. Right. So anyway, I I go out to Los, to San Diego to visit my friend AJ one day, and he meets me outside the airport, and he's got an arrow in his hand, and he says, "Watch this," and he puts the arrow up against the uh, concrete pillar runs up against it and it breaks and I look at him like are you crazy and he says, before you before you go back to Arizona you're going to learn how to do this I said yeah right in your dreams well I did and the the story behind it is it's a confidence builder and uh they use this in in their programs 
to try to build people's confidence. Let's say that you are about to quit your job or ask for a divorce or ask for a raise or you're about to do something that you're just terrified to do. So they take that arrow and they write the fear on the arrow. And then they, you know, they go through the, the, the conditioning program, they talk you through it, tell you how to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you break that arrow and charge that arrow in your neck, all of a sudden, all your fear is gone. You're not afraid of doing anything because you have just broken an arrow with your neck. And it's very effective. Um, so but intense. It, yeah, it's real intense. But when you, when you pump yourself up like that and you determine that you're going to charge that arrow, that arrow is going to break, period. Uh, there's no way around it. And so, you know, I've used it over the years for demonstrations, uh, for positive thinking and uh, and controlling your environment. It's funny, a few years ago I was involved with the Diamondbacks, and it was during the World's, not the World Series, but the playoffs, and they were pr- playing the Braves. And we thought we would have me go down to the stadium and break an arrow with my neck every time the Braves are... Uh, or the the, uh, the Diamondbacks uh, scored against the Braves, but then came you know the lawyers and 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 you know everybody else, and they said, well, wait a minute, we don't want to do that on television because some kid <laughs> is going to go grab his father's hunting arrows and try it, and it sends a bad message. And I couldn't argue with that, so we, yeah. we decided not to do that. So yeah, I, I do point. use it from time to time, but I use it um, in 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 the proper context. But it's amazing what you can do with a, uh, a a positive mind and knowing that defeat is not an option and it, and it is a real confidence builder yeah that's well i tell you that tony robbins it just hit tony me. robbins tony, that's the tony guy robbins. thank you that's that's <laughs> it was driving me crazy it just hit me um but yeah that's so you know going back to that getting in the right right frame of mind and uh, you don't need to have a uh, an arrow to your neck necessarily <laughs> but that'll definitely help <laughs> No, but when you but, walk into my my uh, private training studio inside of Basic Training, there's yeah. a glass vase and there's a bouquet of arrows sitting there. Oh, that's that's cool. That's a good idea. Yeah. So every now and then we'll pull out an arrow. Hey, uh, before we wrap it up, we're running up on time here. I know you got some uh, other appointments, and so do I. Um, what is if you had a piece of reading material that you could suggest to someone to read? What would it be? Um, I would say the new high intensity training by Ellington Darden is a is a really good uh book to read. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's actually on my wish list on Amazon. Um that's a, that's, I, a, that's a great book and you know Ellington has written some great stuff over the years. Uh Bodybuilding Anatomy by Evans is another real good old school Great exercises in there. Everything is right. Everything is complete. Strength training anatomy. Uh, there's three of them. I'm gonna I'm gonna read off to you. Uh, oh, strength, strength training anatomy by Frederick uh, De Valier, I think is. Yep, I have that one. Yeah, that's yep. a really good one. If every if anybody ever wants to know, you know, what the old school exercises are, how to do them properly, what muscles are they working, he did a great job uh, it, with that book. Yep, super colorful illustrations and exercises, right. and he's yeah. got more than. There's at least two volumes because I've had one since undergrad, and I'm. I got volume two not that long ago, maybe a couple of years ago. So there might be even more than that out now. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. 
Okay. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of good apps out there. Our, uh, we have an app, yeah. Jump to Go. That's uh, right. A program that I developed for the U.S. Navy on board their uh, nuclear submarines, and they uh, allowed me to use the images and things like that to develop an app in the private sector. It's free. Um, it's, uh, it's had millions of downloads all around the world. If I had charged uh, 50 cents a piece for it, we wouldn't even have, be having this conversation right now because you would be able to find me. <laughs> Dang well, you know, hindsight. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, and actually, I'm, I'm one of those downloaders because as soon as I, I, you know, checked out your website and everything, I, I wanted to download it. So, oh, great. Um, I encourage people. That's great for uh, if, if you're on the go, which I think Eric, is exactly what it's made there, for. There's, an, there's another app out there uh, that, that I would really suggest. I think they charge twenty bucks for it. It's called Essential Anatomy Two. Are you familiar with it? <sighs> Probably. I've searched a bunch of those before, but explain it a little bit. Well, it, start, it starts with the skeleton, and then you punch buttons on the drop-down menus, and you put in layers of, of the musculoskeletal system, muscles, 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 muscles. And you can isolate it. You can show the function. You can rotate it twenty, you know, 360 degrees every single direction. It's a, it's a great app for understanding the anatomy of, of the musculoskeletal system. And I think if you're in this business, if you're if you're a trainer, it's something that you should have. It even has games and quizzes on it, so that you can, uh, you know, learn more and more and more about about the muscular system and all of those uh, wonderful names for all those muscles. Oh yeah, so but, uh, I'll pull that. I'll pull that. Essential, essential anatomy? anatomy two. Essential yeah, anatomy. it's a Got it's it. a okay. great app. Good. I'll link that too. It's not just an app for the phone. You can also put it on your uh, on your computer. Okay. Oh, good. Good deal. It's the best one awesome. I've ever seen. It's great. I'll, do you do you know who makes that? I'll stop I your don't. I, mean, I, I can look it up, but that's okay. I'll, I'll look that up. Um, awesome. Well, any any other uh, words of, of wisdom before before I let you go? Anything else that people should know about? And yeah, um, exercise is medicine. Results start when you do. If our nation was fit, we wouldn't have a national health care crisis. Boom. Done. That's it. What? <laughs> That's it. Mic drop. <laughs> That's awesome, Bill. I, I appreciate your time. This has been it's been a blast. I could talk uh, shop all day, and I'm, I'm sure you could too. But thanks, um, Eric. I'm going up to Chicago uh, this coming week uh, because we're okay. having our our national uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. So we've got uh, three or four new people that we're inducting into the Hall of Fame. So uh, that'll be fun. You'll have to come to one of those events sometime. I'll give you an invitation. Please do. That would I would be honored to go. That would be awesome. I'd love. And to I understand you're going to be meeting with uh, Ken Kenwood and Jim Flanagan soon. So give them my best regards. I definitely will. Yep, that's uh, next weekend at the uh, football strength coaching class. We've got a bunch yeah, of yeah. Well, that's bunch that's when names. that's when I'll be up at the National Fitness Hall of Fame. So well, I'll I was inducted into place. that in 2012, and I'm actually the chairman now. So I'll be uh, inducting one of the guys in. Who, who are you inducting? Or can you not say? I can't say right now because it's a big okay. secret, but I'll let you know okay. in a week. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Okay. We'll look forward to that. All right, Bill, have a great day, and uh, I'll post this, and as soon as I do, I'll let you know. Okay. Thanks, Eric. All right. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Bye. Bye-bye. If you have any questions or comments, please find me on Twitter at Fitness Canner Podcast and at Eric Feigl, as well as Facebook, searching Fitness Canner Podcast. I'd love to hear what you have to say about featured guests and any topic suggestions you might have. Thanks again for listening.